0: Welcome to another round of Copy Vance. This is your host, Vance Here, I mean, a lot of things happen during the five minutes of countdown because I was dancing, was relaxing, and I'm sure I'm our guest speakers as well, like the two very, uh, a great two serious gentlemen who are here today with us at Copy Vance. I'm going to introduce to them uh, to you all very very soon. But before, as usual, before we start our show, it's always the cup and Copy Events. Cheers. I have not prepared my speakers for coffee. I'm not sure if they will be drinking coffee, but let's get it from them. I mean, I'm sure they're working around the clock. Um, (laughs) You will know why is that so. There's great gentlemen, Uh, both of them, I spoke with them a while ago and I met them a couple of times. Uh, Interesting things about them, but I will give the honor to them to do their introduction as well. Yes, so today's topic, it's all about the liver, right? Um, over the past two weeks, like I mentioned, um, I've been down to the National University of uh, Health System. Uh, just a little bit about them. Uh, is one of the three public healthcare clusters in Singapore. And it's an integrated academic health system, regional health system that delivers value-driven, innovative, and sustainable healthcare in Singapore. And it's an amazing place. I was actually, you know, in, in some kind of like a, a engineering department, I got to say that. There were so many departments there, and I was like, "Where am I right now?" You know there were so many sophisticated things. Um, we got a, gr- a great doctor you know, here, <laughs> Dr. Gao, and and um, Dr. Glenn will be also be joining us. Uh, amazing things, right? I, I, I'm actually very, very proud to be in Singapore, and our, our medical sciences are improving day by day. And uh, I, I'm just going to bring them on and then going to let them introduce, you know, to you all. But you know, I got to say a little bit about liver all right Uh, i think that is very very interesting you know i I based on my a little study you know doctors spend years and years and years of you know education i think they are still studying as well i think for the doctors there's no stoppage of education in copy events we met so many doctors so many expertise you know it's the always the always one thing that i ask them what is the passion what drive drives you you know um but let's talk about the liver a little bit you know i'm just going to give you a very very there are, there are almost many functions that the liver does, but metabolize for fats, proteins, carbohydrates, and en- enzyme activations, uh, storage of glycogen, vitamins, minerals, th- synthesizers of plasma proteins, such as so many clothing, f- uh, clothing uh, factors. All right. Uh, you know, the, be- the best thing about this is uh, what I found is about 1.5 kg. Uh, let's get that information from the doctor. So, first, let me introduce our associate professor, Dr. Glenn. Hello, Dr. Glenn. Hi there, Vance, how are you? I'm good, sir, how are you? I'm all right, thank
1: you. Thanks for inviting us on.
0: Thank you for coming on board with Kopi events, it's my pleasure. Uh, if you can just give me a couple of seconds because I'm going to invite Dr. Gao as well. Hello, Dr. Gao. Hello,
2: good evening everyone. Yes, here, loud and clear
0: Thank you, Dr. Gao Yuji, and uh, we have both, uh, you know, doctors on board. One, of course, is an associate professor, and um, also the um, Dr. Gao is also an associate consultant. Um, Dr. Glenn, can you please do your introduction first before we even get started, so that our viewers know who is Dr. Glenn
1: is. I'm sure. I'm sure we get into the more interesting discussion, So I'll keep it really brief. I'm Glenn Bonney. Um, I graduated in medicine about 2002, so nearly 20 years as a doctor now, um, and all that time in surgery. Um, I am a liver, pancreas, and kidney transplant surgeon, and I operate on cancers of the liver, pancreas, and gallbladder, including some, some non-cancer diseases like gallstones as well. Um, and, I, and, and I run some laboratories um, and all this at the National University of Hospital of Singapore, and the National University of Singapore. And that's my brief introduction.
0: Thank you, doctor. I mean, you're always humble, you know, um, in terms of introduction. I I think this is the second time I'm meeting you. The first time was on person and second time is the virtual. Thank you, doctor. Um, Dr. Gao, please, uh, your introduction, sir.
2: Hi, evening, everyone. Uh, My name is Yu I'm an associate consultant in the uh, liver and pancreas surgery department in in NUH. So um, I I graduated in 2011 and subsequently finished my residency training in surgery in 2019. And now, um, you know, Professor Bonnie has been one of my great mentors for the last few years, um, Mm -hmm. taught me a lot of what I know uh, about liver and pancreas surgery. Very grateful to him, and very grateful to be here tonight as well. the other thing about myself is that I have a special interest in medical technology, um, as well as uh, med tech innovation, which um, we will talk a little bit more about um, later in the show. Thank you.
0: Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, thank you, doctors, for that uh, good introduction. I'm sure your viewers will be standing by as well for if they have any questions. So please type it out in the comment. But for the viewers who are just joining in, please do share as well, so that more people can able to come in and watch and understand. And awareness, right, is creating a lot of exposure as well. So as we're going to start up, um, I'm, I'm I'm going to pose this question to Dr. Boni, uh, our associate professor. Sir, so, you know, I, I, this is the first question that I asked. I mean, totally not related to the to the to the topic, right? We're going to talk about doctors, right? Uh, what I know is you guys work around the clock. Uh, I, I I just had a, a few discussion with Dr. Yuji as well. How is that possible? I mean, mean, do you guys really sleep?
1: Uh, (laughs) So um, the easiest answer to this then is, fortunately, firstly, things are changing. Things are better than they were. Um, People who trained me had it much worse. I probably had it much worse than, than Yucha did. And things are changing for the better in this sense. So don't put people off doing medicine. The second thing to frame this is to say that it's not not every specialty within within medicine requires proper sleep deprivation. You know, Um, uh, there are certain specialties that if if, that allows you a very good work life balance, and you know, and you can choose to do those specialties. But certainly, you, chair, and me are in a specialty that even uh, in training to do it and doing it. it it, has, it it takes its toll. Um, the worst uh, um, in recent memories was two years ago when me and a colleague of mine had two cancers and, and three, three transplants all back-to-back that happened over the course of just over two days. Um, and so we were kind of catching naps and we were hot bedding in one bed where I would get some rest, and then I'll be in the operating room here, rest, and then I'll be in, the, and then we do the donors, and then hot bed this over about two days and stuff. So yes, it gets extreme, but the big thing is that it's hugely rewarding. I'd do it all again, and with 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 you know, with half the salary and half the recognition and stuff like that.
0: Thank you, doctor. I mean, um, I mean that I, I I it definitely have to be. What I always say is that. um Doctors are actually uh, the angels <laughs> sent down to the planet Earth to take care of the humans. I mean, it, it has to be, I don't know, it, it has to be a special talent, a special interest. Um, it's more than a commitment. It's more than a passion, love. I think that you, you I mean, doctors have it. So thank you so much, doctor. I'm going back to Dr. Yuji again. Um, is it right to say that all doctors have to sleep on the floor of the operating theater? Because this is what we see, right? I'm not sure, but I know there are sometimes when you do your operations and kind of stuff, you know, it can be dirty. But who cares about it when you are exhausted and you are saving alive? And and I, the most of the time that I speak to doctors, they say, oh, a minimum eight hours operation or nine hours. It's <laughs> like how you guys stand and you know, if you there's something itchy, you can't. I how, how is that possible, doctor? Come on, <laughs> you, you gotta, uh, highlight some uh, light on
2: us. Right, right. I'm. I i it, is not a have to um but sometimes because of circumstances and because of the way things are um uh, we may need to right but um of, of course you know it, it is not something that, that happens on a day to day basis it is not something that we always do right but you know, to to the question about how do we you know stand and operate for you know 8 hours 10 hours 12 hours um it it is be- because of you know the, the concentration right when you are operating on the patient and you when you have a life that's that's depending on you um, on the operating table, right? We spend all our energy, you know, concentrating on what we are doing on hand, right? So, you know, you're trying to make sure that you're doing the correct things. You know, you're not not making mistakes along the way and trying to do what's best for that patient who is in front of you, right? So when you are really deep in, you know, that kind of concentration and really in the zone when you're operating, you, you... don't really notice a lot of the the other things that's happening to you right a lot of times you know we have a full bladder right and we humans you know we don't normally go 12 hours without you know going to a toilet right so but you know we sort of tune that out after a while you know so so it doesn't distract us from from um the patient that's thats that's you know lying on the operating table right the itchiness and and things like that we sort of just you know tune it away um you know at the side you know you know put it at the corner of our brain, don't really think about it, and just concentrate on the task at hand. So I, I think it is that, that level of concentration and, of course, training um, that we've been given over the years and the experience that we've given that really allows us to, you know, be able to, to stand there for hours on end and, you know, doing what's right for the patient in front of us. And, you know, sometimes it may require us to take very, you know, minimal breaks or rest in between our cases, right? But again, you know, once you're on the operating table, when you're in the zone, you know, you just put fatigue aside and you carry on. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. that's that's you know, essentially how I think most of us do it.
0: Thank you, doctor. Thank you. I mean, yes. I, I'm going deeper in. I know I should be starting into the questions, but it just gets in more deeper and deeper. So I'm going to go back to Doctor Glenn as well, Doctor Glenn. Um, You know, Doctor Yujia said that you know when when you I mean you are you know in in front of a a person a living person, and 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 trying to save and whatever that you need to do, what is the one thing that going in your mind? I mean you got to be totally off. You are not someone. Who are you actually? I mean, the the way that you guys speak, it seems like you are uh, some kind of a masters in, uh, you know, just blocking off everything and just, you know, is is.
1: Vans, no, um, we're 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 only human, um, and uh, and we all, we we're we prone to being tired, prone to being emotional, prone prone to get frustrated, angry. You know this. This you know it's nice of you to call us angels, but you know we're only human. Um, the to answer your question, it's a very very good question, and I've pondered it many times. And there's a few things in this on a personal level. I find it challenging just before a big operation i mean their operations mean something to somebody of course but there are small operations and then there's a liver transplant and there's two extremes of of surgery right and they're all important operations but the liver transplant can be a 14 16 17 18 hour operation or a six hour operation right i find it incredibly challenging if minutes before that operation, grandchild, granddaughter, par- parents, siblings, everyone is is there, that I find till today in 20 years of the sur- surgery is still still difficult because I know these people, I've met them in clinic and all that stuff. But on the day of surgery, when the drapes are on and that heartbeat monitor and the saturation probes are on and you can just hear that beep, it becomes a breakdown to just echo some of the things you chose It becomes a breakdown of sets of small steps so a liver transplant may have something like you know a thousand steps or some something upwards of that but it's small steps of 50 to 100 to and i can't get to that step before they doing this step and you keep working through that process once in a while it becomes life and death and i would say in our hands that happens once every three to six months and having a measure of how you contain that, and being being um, measured in how you give instructions or move in an efficient manner, um, h- helps you generally cope. You know, with 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 what's with what's going on with the task at hand. Yeah.
0: Thank you, doctor. Thank you for um, shining some light on that on that topic because I think. It is very, very crucial, you know. I mean, we do not know what exactly is happening inside the operating theatre room, you know. All we know is, you know, you guys are like out of a different dimension. Uh, but, but you know, like I said, thanks for letting us know some of your works that you have done and the way how you, it's not the thought process, it's not the physical, it's not the mental, but you, you seem to be doing it something really, really right. So thank you, thank you for that. Um, all right, doctor, so I think uh, we're going to jump into that uh, particular, a few questions that's already been lined up. Uh, but I'm not sure if are we going to show the video first or you want me to jump into straight to the question? I mean, both are fine. Um, do you think I, we should show them the video first or should we jump into the questions?
1: I think one good way, Vance, is is uh-huh. I think you've, you've got a few of these questions, basics about liver, because it's one of those yeah. organs that people not necessarily know t- a ton about. And yeah, um, maybe if we start to understand and unpick a little bit of those questions that you wanted to pose, right. then the relevance of the work that Yucha is doing in in using mixed reality in surgery becomes more relevant.
0: All right. So we, we already have some of uh questions that's coming in from uh, Weavers. Uh, thank you, viewers, for watch, sending all these um, the the, the questions, but I'm definitely going to take that. You know, they're talking about liver, C's and, you know, cancerous. All these are coming up, but we're going to take that in the last 10 minutes of our, our, our talk session. But I'm going to go into the, uh, the, the, the liver topic as well. Uh, maybe, Dr. Glenn, maybe you get started, sir. Uh, what are some of the reasons why a person may need a liver surgery? A lot of people might not know this, uh, even I myself. But, but why is that a, a surgery needed?
1: Okay, um, so the easiest way to answer that, um, Ben, is to first frame it by realizing liver surgery is major surgery. Right, And if you look at how old it is, it's one of the, the, the youngest form, uh, forms of surgery. It's only about 40, 50 years or so that we properly started cutting the liver and safely cutting the liver because it's such a bloody and complicated organ. Um, so to answer your question, why would one someone need liver surgery? You really should be operating on the liver for cancer, okay? And that is cancer with the view to cure. You're not going to operate on the liver where you're leaving cancer behind elsewhere you're going to operate because in all intention you're going to cure the patient one number two you're going to operate on the liver because there is something at risk of becoming cancer that's the second reason you're going to do it and in terms of percentage very rarely in about five percent of times when we operate on the liver we operate on totally benign issues that are not cancer but it's causing symptoms. So it's benign, but it's causing symptoms. And this would be a reason why you would operate on the liver. Um, Generally speaking, that is how, that is a very reasonable way to frame it. There are very rare indications of things like infections or abscesses that form in the liver that we sometimes have to operate on, but these days pretty rare. Um, But that's actually why you would end up having liver surgery. That's surgery itself. And just to answer a little bit along the lines of the questions is about transplantation. And that is when the liver, firstly, is a beautiful organ because it grows back, you know, so it regenerates itself. We can talk a little bit as much as you want about this, but it can grow back. But if it gets insulted enough times, that means a certain whatever, and we can talk about that, poisons the liver enough times, it will reach a point where it becomes hard. We call that fibrosis. And just the next step of fibrosis is called cirrhosis. And once you establish into cirrhosis, effectively your, your liver is now a kind of life-limiting problem because it's failing. And liver transplantation is done for this indication for liver cirrhosis and some rare indications of cancer in the liver. These are the types of and some types of cancer in the liver.
0: Thank you, thank you, doctor. Um, Doctor, it's also is it true that the liver weighs about one point five kg? Because this one (laughs) is all you told.
1: So (laughs) varies varies with age, varies with size uh, with with um, size of the patient, Um, and so smallest liver I've been involved in fits on the glove of a hand, and that's in a newborn baby that needed a liver transplant. And the biggest liver I've ever had to lift myself was three and a half kilograms so and and everything else fits into this kind of spectrum of size of the patient, how much fatty in the liver, how big the patient is. Your liver will be about one point eight two kilograms bent
0: how How do you find that
1: I've just opened enough patients and seen the livers enough to know how much the <laughs> liver is.
0: <laughs> so that was the, the number of years of experiences. You look at, oh, you are like uh, 1.7 kg, you are 1.2. All right. It's a, it's a very
1: important, it, it's, it, we, we, we smile and joke, but as transplant surgeons, quite an important question because often we go to donors and then we are making decisions on size of the liver based on the recipient. So whether it will fit, whether there's too little, whether there's too much and stuff like that. So you get pretty good at estimating sizes of livers, et cetera, as well.
0: Thank you, doctor. Thank you for um, that particular question. I, I can see that a lot of more questions are coming in. Uh, thank you, viewers. So please keep on uh, posting all these uh, particular questions that you want to ask the doctors. I definitely will pull them in. And I do see a viewer is asking in, in, in Malay, Basam Malayu. All right. You want to please type it out in English so that it's I, can, I, can, I can handle Williams
1: oh, okay. So William, Ditanya right. tanya Saya mau tanya Di negara mana dan hospital apa, Transplant liver and kidney Yang murah dan banyak donor Apa yang penting Ialah tak boleh Donor di negara orang lain Okay, ini tak biasa Biasanya kalau di negara lain um, Donor itu untuk orang dari Warga negara yang itu So kalau di Singapura um, uh, Donor datang dari orang singapura untuk orang singapura tapi we can do what's called living donor maksudnya ada ahli keluarga beri separuh the liver donated to a liver transplant to somebody else and that's called living donor transplantation it's very common in in asia and we do it very successfully in nuh
0: thank you doctor thank you for that multi-skill multi-talented on um, different languages as well thank you so much you're actually quite fluent in uh, but <laughs> some all right, <laughs> <Thank> you, <laughs> all right, okay. Uh, we are going to go to the next particular question that's already been lined up. Um, what is so different about liver surgery compared to others? About doctor, you see, we, we do often hear, um, you know, myocardial infarction, um, you know, a particular you know, or, uh, orthopedics doing, uh, you know, we we hear all these common, uh, rather common, right. But you know, talking about liver surgery, you know, it's 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 coming. Is it something that is not well known, or is it that nobody is speaking about it, or is this it that is very closed doors, doctor?
2: Well, I mean, liver, liver surgery is is not say like a closed closed door thing. But um, like like what um Professor Bonnie said that liver surgery is is quite a young kind of a surgery, right? It is definitely not you know one of those that's been around for hundreds of years, and you know people know a lot about. And it's also not one of the more common surgeries that we hear about, right? which is why I think there are a lot of things that, um, you know, people may not really know or understand about liver surgery, right? But, but the thing about surgery and why it may be a little bit different compared to others is that it's it's mainly because the liver is a very complex organ, right? So, you know, like you mentioned at the start of, of the talk that, you know, it has so many different functions that it performs, you know, it, it stores energy, it produces energy, it produces heat, you know, it it you know affects the way our blood clots and things like that. So every time something happens to a liver, right, in one way or another, you know, some of these functions may get affected, right? And every time we operate on a liver, right, one of these, you know, um, functions of the liver, you know, has the, the potential, right, to be affected, right? sometimes a little bit, sometimes a lot. Right, So whenever we, whenever we do surgery on a liver, we don't just have to take into consideration the surgery itself, um, you know, the, the physical complexity and the physical challenges of doing a liver surgery. But we also have to take into account a lot of the other functions of the liver right? and whether or not doing a surgery in this case would actually cause any irre- irreversible damage or harm to the liver right? and whether or not the liver can actually recover um after a surgery right because the thing is you know the last thing you want to do is to do a, a liver surgery for a patient and then leave the liver in a state where you know it is unable to cope with all the functions of the body after the surgery right so we have to make sure that whatever we do with the liver um you know be it replacing it or removing a portion of it we have to leave leave the, the patients with a functional liver right um at the end of the surgery right be- because if you don't do that then we'll be putting the patients you know at at risk of having a liver failure after the surgery, right? And it is because of this, which is why, you know, liver surgery, you know, is is not exactly the same as a lot of other surgeries, Because there are, you know, other forms of surgery which can also be very complex, right? But it may not have the, you know, significant uh, or significance of downstream effects of removing that organ, right? Regardless of how difficult that surgery may be. Right. So the, the liver, you know, it, it, it is an organ of beauty. Um it, it does a lot of things, you know, for for the body, right, which is why, you know, we can't really live without it. Right. And we we as surgeons for the liver, we have to try our best to, you know, preserve functionality and preserve what we call physiology for the patient right so that at the end of the day you know we leave them with something that it's functioning and is able to support the, the body after the surgery and that is something that we we as liver surgeons always have to take into account right because you know if let's say we you know estimate or or we we predict uh I shouldn't say predict or or we we you know feel that if let's say doing a certain liver surgery or certain surgery for a patient right may actually leave them with an uh you know, non-functioning or potentially non-functioning or, you know, less than optimal liver, right? Sometimes it may actually be better not to do the surgery than to do the surgery, right? So it's always about, you know, again, weighing the risk and benefits, pros and cons, um, and and ultimately patient outcome um, when making these decisions. Yeah, so that is is that added layer of complexity, you know, to, to the liver, right? Which makes it, you know, a little bit more challenging, but at the same time, um, it is the beauty of the organ itself.
0: Thank you, Doctor. I mean, it, it seems like you guys are like electrical specialists or engineers, you know. You know, there's so much of things that, you know, I was looking at the, just a basic anatomy of it. I'm like, uh, okay, probably I don't want to look at it. But what I was told, or uh, what I was, I mean, going through on my own little, little research that the liver is a storehouse, it's a manufacturing hub and a processing plant, plant all right? But it seems like an industrial, some kind of a big industrial or engineering company is happening in the body. As we try to explore, uh, we talk with the cardiologists, we talk with the orthopedics, we, we, we talk to it. But this is very, very interesting because one, a particular organ does so many functions. That's, that's an amazing kind of a organ in our body, right?
1: Yeah, you, you know, um, Vance, if you think about it, you've heard of the heart-lung machine. So yeah. when, the things, when things go bad for your, for your heart or lung, you can be put on a machine. And uh, there's the iron lung. So if something goes bad for your lung, you can just be put on the lung, lung machine. Then there's dialysis for the kidney, etc. that if the kidney goes wrong, you can do that. And there's, there's lengths and lengths of bowel, so you can take bits of bowel out and still be very functional. There is no replacement for your liver other than a liver transplant. You know, and that actually you say, "Wow, well, we can put a man on the moon, we can do all this stuff, but we can't actually do anything to replace a failing liver other than a liver transplant to date and and that alone not reflects just the fact that what we do is is complex, but more is how complex that organ really is, and it's there's probably not enough time to get into all its functionality, but your summary of it being a factory is probably as good as it probably needs to be understood, yeah.
0: Thank you, doctor. I think we will take a few questions right now because uh, we were actually uh, still waiting it to be answered. So let's get it from the first one um, is from Christina. Uh, Christina has asked, can a liver cyst that is about 0.7 mm and round in shape, can be cancerous in due time, must it be removed to be safe? Is a CT scan needed to have a better understanding of the cyst?
2: Sure. So, um, I mean, to be honest, most of the time, um, liver cysts are benign or non-cancers in nature, right? It, it be very, very seldom do we actually come across a liver cyst that it, it that turns out to be a tumor or a cancer. And you know, for something that's less than one centimeter, the the chances of this you know being a cancer or you know forming a cancer, especially you know if it's round, or you know when we do an ultrasound scan or a a you know CT scan, MRI scan. If there's no suspicious features that that you know makes it a little bit more worrying, right? It is very unlikely, right, that this thing is going to become a cancer, um, you know, in, in the future, right? So whether or not you know. It has to be removed, um, you know, as long as it doesn't look worrying, it doesn't have any features that will make your surgeon or your physician um, be worried that this thing can potentially be hiding, you know, tumor cells or cancer cells inside. Um, And if it's not causing you any symptoms, right, especially for something that's seven, you know, millimeters, right, there's really no need to remove it because liver cysts, they are very common. Um, I, I have two um cyst in my liver. I found that out from a CT scan I did a while back. Right. And it's just sitting there, you know, it's not doing anything. Right. And whether or not you actually need a CT scan or you know even an MRI scan for this these uh cysts. Well to be honest, if it's less than one centimeter, it's gonna be very difficult to see on a CT scan or even an MRI scan right, which is why usually, you know, for uh, something that's less than one centimeter, we don't um, routinely do CT scans or MRI scans, right, because, you know, you're not going to see much of it anyway, right, so, and, and even if it's less than, if it's more than one centimeter, you know, unless we really feel that, you know, this thing has the potential to become something a bit more sinister, right, or we have reasons to believe or suspect that we may be dealing more uh, than just a simple cyst, then we may go ahead with you know a CT scan or MRI scan, yeah. But otherwise, there's really no need um, to be you know overly worried about this, overly concerned about this, and you know lose lose sleep um, all over this. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Doctor Yuji. Um, hope that is uh, answered your uh, question, Christina. So we have another one here as well. Uh, what is a non-alcoholic fatty liver disease by Caroline?
1: I think um, a good thing to do, Vance, is that question matches really nicely with the question, are there particular people that are prone to liver disease besides drinking alcohol in excess, anyone else? And kenapa bisa dapat penyakit liver? I think all three questions are answered with this one question.
0: Okay,
1: yeah. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is probably one of the most common things we will see and will become increasingly more common. It is basically essentially a, de- a de- deposition or, or depositing fat inside your liver. And the way to fully understand this, it's a spectrum of not a liver disease alone, but rather it's a disease that involves um, the heart, the liver, um, your, the blood vessels that travel between all that because fat gets deposited in all these all these areas together. So it's part of a spectrum called a metabolic spectrum. OK, part of it is related to diseases you may have and a combination of things of diabetes, high blood pressure and high cholesterol and uncontrolled um, levels of this can cause that. Second part of it can be can be due to the to food you eat. So a huge amount of fat intake will result in, in that happening. The, the next part about it is is the genetics of it. So it can run in families for many reasons, and you can get fatty liver disease. So you start with fatty liver disease, and that can result in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And if it's left unmonitored, that starts to cause the hardening of the liver known as fibrosis, and in its extreme form, becomes cirrhosis. So if you look at American data now, it's the second most common reason people have liver transplants. And the shapes of the curve is suggesting that it's not long that it will become the most common. Um, in Singapore, it is exponential. We are seeing fatty liver disease like, like a pandemic of its own.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Doctor. I so, I think this is also another related to what you have just answered as well. I think also because of poor bats, I mean, lifestyle or habits, that can actually also cause us as well. So, um, probably we might just want to dive a little bit on that, Doctor. Is that could be the alcohol can cause? a lot of other issues to the liver because we know the liver does a lot of stuff. So if you're just putting in a lot of toxic only to the body, eventually that guy also give up on you. Is there something quite uh, a, a statement to say that?
1: Uh, I think that's fair. I think the right way to look at it maybe is to understand it as to keep alcohol in one one view. And another view is about diet in general that we take. So alcohol, let's start with that. If you take alcohol in excess, you can start putting fat on your liver. There's mechanisms by which that happens, and I think the details are necessary. But so if you did an ultrasound scan on somebody who had a big alcohol intake, the first sign of a problem is fatty liver disease. By the time you're getting hardening of the liver and cirrhosis, that's already a very advanced stage of it. Okay, But but someone who has a big alcohol intake, you get an ultrasound scan of what's called a fibro scan that's a scan to look at the hardening of the liver and if that's off the scale and you're a heavy drinker the best thing you can do is to stop drinking completely live a healthy life and we can talk about what modifications you can do for that and what happens is like i said the liver just regenerates you can do that and we've seen it in obesity surgery you can just institute a massive lifestyle change and in the space of two months to three months you can have a normal liver and that's that's how forgiving the liver can be
0: Thank you, doctor, for that. So for viewers who are watching this, no more alcohol, only drink water. H2O. All right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, probably. Yeah. All right, uh, we're good to go. Uh, so we also... Uh, Okay, we will come back to another question again. Um, We are going into the challenges part right now. Um, There's some challenges operating on the liver. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned that it's anything between four hours to... I don't know how many hours he can be, uh, but the challenges will be, doc. So this
1: nicely segues a little bit to to one or one or two of the videos that um, Yucha might want to show. Um, the challenges of operating on the liver can can be okay. The first first biggest challenge is that that the technical aspect of dividing the liver is a very bloody organ with lots of things called bile ducts running across it and big huge blood vessels going in and out of it. So understanding that anatomy and knowing exactly what you need to carve out so that you're actually taking out and clearing the cancer and leaving behind a good volume and good amount of functioning liver. That's probably the very baseline of understanding what the challenges of operating on the liver is. So I'll take that concept one step further. And so if you imagine you're looking now at a three-dimensional organ And somewhere inside this organ is two or three cancers. And and these cancers intertwine in between blood vessels and bile ducts, etc. And you have to carve your way such that you're going to preserve all the blood vessels that are going back to the remnant liver, but take out the cancer safely. What senior surgeons can do is look at CT scans. And what we automatically do is you suddenly process a three-dimensional picture in your head of exactly when I start cutting I'm going to see these structures and then I'm going to see those structures and I'm going to preserve this but I'm going to take that and you're going to go and do that. What is becoming more and more exciting so taking this one step further is we now start to do this by keyhole surgery. In fact um, I'm doing a case tomorrow that you're just going to help me like this and where we're taking the whole left part of the liver up by through small holes in the in the tummy and with a big camera screen and then you start operating by keyhole surgery. So there's very small cuts on the patient. So it used to be that you used to get a big cut right down your tummy and over to the right. But now by and large, everything's moving towards keyhole surgery. And in NUH, we're now moving that into robotic surgery. So we're operating with a robot. So when you start doing that, the baseline to this is having a full appreciation of exactly where the tumor is and where all the important blood vessels are. So we ask a question um, of can you then put some form of technology onto the liver that allows a surgeon to almost have like superman eyes to look through the organ so that you can start seeing things inside the organ in real time as you're operating so you know where you're cutting. To caveat that, like I say, senior surgeons, generally speaking, we know anyway where we're going inside the organ. So, But you're mounting the curve and in very complex cases it's likely that technology like this would be adopted into something useful so you just spent an inordinate amount of time and i don't know where he finds those hours that he does it um in trying to figure out how to bring that kind of mixed reality into surgery and he's got a few really funky videos to share if, if you want to see
0: Yes, doctor. Thank you for that. I think that will be very uh, exciting to show our viewers as well. Um, I right. got a uh, I got a bit of experience doing that, so <laughs> it was fun looking into Good. it. So
2: I was actually thinking, um, instead of showing you a video, um, why okay. don't I show you how it actually works? Um, I, I, okay. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just do a live demo now. All right. So. Okay. All right. Okay. Great. Can see my screen.
0: That's right.
2: Okay. Give me a minute. Alrighty. Okay, great. So this is the view um, from the device, the Hololens that I'm wearing. Okay, and essentially this is what you see through um, my visors, right? So, pardon me, there's a little bit of lag between the video and the audio, right? But what I've done is that I've actually pulled a scan um, from one of our patients. Right, and this is what you call a segmented scan, right? So what we did was that we, you know, took the the CT scan from the patient. Um, we, you know, did some processing and AI, um, you know, analysis for the image. And after that, we we sort of isolated the various structures within the liver. And this is kind of what you see, right? So, like what Prof. Bonnie was talking about is that you know, for for a junior consultant or for a resident who is still in training one of the most difficult things that we have to do is to try and make sense of the CT scans and MRI scans that we see and convert a two-dimensional image into a three-dimensional you know, picture that you know, we, we can sort of you know, see in our mind, right? And th- that takes years and years and years of experience and training to be able to do, right? So what this device does is that it sort of skips that step and, what it, you know, and, and it shows you the scan in. A three-dimensional form. So as you can see, right, I have this image in front of me, right. So it looks static now, right. But what I can do is that I can actually, you know, grab onto the image, right, and I can move it, right. So as you see, it it feels like as though I'm actually holding a physical object, right. But you know, this object is completely virtual, right. It's you know rendered by the Hololens um, in front of me, and the cameras on the Hololens actually recognize, right, the movements of my hand, right, and you know it it knows that I'm interacting with this image, right? So I can look at it from different angles, right? I can, you know, zoom in, zoom out. And this allows me, right, who, you know, someone who is still early in his in, in his training um, for liver surgery to really appreciate you know all the different structures there are that's inside the liver. Right. So as you can see, right this, this two, you know big blobs at, on, on my right hand side, right These are uh, actually you know, the, the liver itself, right. And those lines that you see in the rest of the image, those are the blood vessels inside the, the liver. right So the red color one right, represents the arteries um, that's going into the liver. Right, so you can see it here going into uh, the liver. Right, There's a little bit of lag in the video. Right, then the the dark blue, right, this is the vein, right, that takes blood from the intestines and, and everything in, back into the liver. Right, this is the one here. Right, and the blood vessels in turquoise or you know light blue color, right, these are the blood vessels and the veins that you know take blood from the liver and return it back to the heart. So. As you can see, you know, if we are to remove any single portion of the liver, right, it is a huge amount of, you know, structures and blood vessels that we have to go through, right? And for someone, you know, who is not trained or, you know, who is just starting out doing liver surgery, this is an extremely, extremely daunting task for us, right? Because, you know, just like, like, for example, if I want to cut the liver here, right, the number of structures that I'm going to encounter along the way Um, you know it's going to be difficult to count right and how do you know you're on the right track when doing a liver surgery right so technologies like this you know just really helps us to 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 mount the learning curve um, a little bit faster Um, it's about shifting the cognitive load right where you know instead of me struggling to convert a 2d scan into a three-dimensional image i have this thing that's already you know displayed in front of me and by moving the cognitive load away from this task, I can then concentrate on actually planning for my surgery. Right? So I know that if I'm going to cut along this line, right, these are the potential structures, and these are the potential you know, big blood vessels that I'm going to encounter along the way. And I know that when I reach this area during the surgery itself, i got to be a little bit careful. Right? And if, let's say, I see certain features or certain landmarks when I'm doing the operation, Right, I know that where I know exactly where I am, right, within the liver, and that really helps me with you know wayfinding, right, when I'm doing a surgery. Because one of the biggest um, pitfalls uh, for liver surgery, especially for for junior surgeons, is that sometimes you know it may be difficult to know exactly where you are, right, once you start cutting into the liver, especially when you're doing it um, in a keyhole surgery. So you know having this image and having the ability. Right, to really see and to predict, you know, things that may be coming up um, as you're cutting along the level, that really, really helps us uh, along the way. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to stop my screen share now.
0: Thank you, Doctor. Um, right. You know, Doctor, at this point of uh, the discussion, I think I'm going to uh, encourage my son to play more video games. <laughs> uh, <laughs> especially, especially... It and it relates to the virtual reality. But now this is the big question for Dr. Yujia. Dr. Yujia, do you play games during your younger times?
2: Uh, I would say I spend most of my time playing game. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have played as much, but yes, a lot. <laughs>
0: okay. So that proves, Doc. Yeah. So I'm going to encourage my son. So he is in the right path. All right. So folks, <laughs> parents who are saying that, look at that. Technology has improved. It's an amazing place in NUA, HS, which I, I think... I was astonished by looking at all those departments and I was like, what is this? Uh, you know, I was in some kind of a factory or, or like an industrial place where I think a lot of research are going on. I mean, I always say that, you know, in the in the medical science, it's always evolving, you know? And that is why doctors are always constantly um, reading and studying. Is there a time where doctors just say, okay, I'm done? Prof-
1: yeah. So I think that is, I think also important thing to say is, that while it looks really cool, that augmented reality stuff and things like that, the principle of it is is actually that actually we just want to make surgery safer. I mean, that was just a perfect demonstration of (coughs) the difficulties that you will face as you cut through the liver, right? And um, so if you overlay this now, Onto a liver as you're operating, and you've got this on, and there was some way by which, as you started to open the liver, and the and the hololens understood that the liver was partitioning in half, and you could do this. It's just basically increasing patient safety. It's not just a, this is cool, and it's a it's a pretty good marketing thing. It, the the principle is just that, you know, as people are coming through the learning curve and stuff, you you you'd get you'd you'd be safer in that learning curve.
0: Thank you, you know? Doctor. So, uh, we are almost coming to the, the, the last part. I mean, it's an amazing talk session. I know, um, you know it, it, it takes so many years to become a, a surgeon, but uh, you know, um, how many years does it take, doc? I mean, how many years does it take to be a... Uh, a, a different
1: countries, a, countries are different, Ben. Um, I'll, I'll right. tell you my story. One, five years of medical school, one year as a houseman, three years in basic surgical training, and then I opted to do two years of a higher degree where I did part-time research in cancer and part-time liver transplants. And then I did six years of higher surgical training and another year as a fellowship. So that's six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, plus five. So including medical school, 18 years. Um, in, in, in Singapore, it is five years of medical school, one year as housemanship, generally generally speaking one or two years as a as a young young um what we call a medical officer and then it's five years so five six seven years and then you come out at an associate consultant grade which is what Yucha is at now and it's and and it's broadly viewed at that in those two years you're you're honing your skills further so if you include that as a little bit more of sharpening of skills then it's about nine years in singapore yeah different countries different
0: so doctor, when will you stop studying
1: I hope never really Bant. I, I hope never really honestly i mean uh you know um I come from a line of academics and and, and, and my mother is in fact mum you're you're probably listening um and she's seventy eight Tomorrow, so I want to wish her a happy birthday in Malaysia. Um, But she is 78, and she's still doing academic work for 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 the. So your message. (laughs) <laughs> so um, yeah, so so she's seventy eight tomorrow, and and uh, and she's still very much academic and stuff, and and uh, you know, and I think certainly for me, there is a sweet point as a surgeon where you need to stop, where the hands really can't deliver what it used to do, but um, but certainly um, from an academic pursuit, trying to solve cancer, and my particular interest is in pancreas cancer and trying to to get get that better for patients. I hope that will just go on and
0: on okay doctor so i i I mean your mom is also a professor is that right yep okay and she is is it okay to tell her age i know most women don't like to reveal their age for
1: some <laughs> she's, reason. she's 78 tomorrow and she, she doesn't I mean, yeah, look it doesn't look it at all
0: so, what is your message for her? I mean, we have two professors in the house right now. One is a mummy professor, another one is a son professor. So, come on, doctor, what is the message for your mummy?
1: <laughs> um, happy birthday, mum. have a great day tomorrow, and we'll talk talk to you tomorrow.
0: All right. So, okay. So, is she a medical doctor as well?
1: She's um she's a professor by she started a career in botany and plants. Hmm. And uh, and part of the reason why I'm a doctor was I wanted nothing to do with what my mother does. And then gradually she evolved into biotechnology and, and biodiversity and that sort of field. Yeah.
0: Thank you, doctor. And happy birthday to your mommy as well. Um, we are coming to the last part of the uh, question. I know, I mean, this topic about liver, we were able to not stop within the next 48 hours also because there's so much of content to talk about. Unfortunately, we only have one hour. So the last question I'm going to pose it to Dr. Uja. Uh, how do we protect our liver so that we don't need a surgery in the future?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think a large part of it is, is about healthy lifestyle and doing things in moderation. Right. So like like what Prof. Bonnie said, um, you know, a lot of the, the you know toxins and you know things that cause injury to the liver has to do with our lifestyle um you know the the food that we eat you know the the things that we drink you know be alcoholic or non-alcoholic you know a lot of these things have detrimental effects on the liver right and but you know the the same goes for any other organ in the body right so you know it the liver doesn't exist in isolation it exists as a whole ecosystem within the entire body right so you know the, the best way to protect the liver is to essentially protect the entire body right? So, you know, make sure you get enough rest, make sure you get enough fluids, you know, exercise, um, you know, eat in moderation, don't go overboard, avoid all, you know, trying to avoid all the fatty food, fried food, oily food, you know, um, cut down alcohol, cut down smoking, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, you can't do any of this, right? Or you must abstain completely from any of this, right? But it is all, you know, about balance, you know, finding that that balance between you know, excess and what's adequate, right, and really just, you know, having things in moderation and, you know, don't go crazy about some of these things that, you know, we know can potentially harm the liver, yeah, so I I think that would be, you know, what we would usually advise our patients and, you know, also our friends and families to, you know, have having the best way to avoid, you know, ending up um, needing a surgery for the liver, yeah.
0: Thank you, doctor, thank you, thank you so much. Um. I mean, it, 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 it's such a fruitful session. I mean, today we we talked about a lot about things about liver, what it does, uh, how you guys, you know, um, look into, dissect with the new technology which is coming in and it's always evolving. And I think even though the technology can be there, but I think that person who's making that choices that's controlling if nerves, is emotions, you know, you can just minus all that off and you're just like a I don't know what to call you all. Seriously, you're not a robot. You're not an angel. You guys are just amazing. And just look at yourself, Dr. Moni. I mean, you are constantly studying since the day your mom enrolled you in school. And now also you're still studying. How about that, you know? It it is a gift of, uh, I I don't know what to say, it's just a pure blessings. And I think uh, all doctors are definitely heroes because uh, just before this show started, I was talking to Dr. Yujiya. Easier since morning, all right, and he had not went back home. He had just done a surgery and I asked him when he's gonna come back again. He said tomorrow I'm gonna to be here at 7 a.m. to prepare for another surgery. So it looks like you know, constantly, you know, you guys are saving lives. I think it's an amazing job. So thank you so much for your contribution to the humankind doctors. Doctor, before we end the show, any um, wise words from you, Dr. Bonnie? Um I think
1: I just want to echo what you just says, really. Like, I think the best thing I can say is you don't want to see us. I want to see you out running, you know, see you out running in the shopping malls and stuff like that, but don't come and see liver and pancreas surgeons and transplant surgeons like us, you know. Live a healthy lifestyle, eat in moderation, exercise regularly. Um, There's lots of good evidence in things like, you can Google this, called intermittent fasting. Um, And actually, strangely, Vance, you're going to love this. There's very strong evidence that one black coffee a day reduces fatty liver very strong evidence (laughs) and it just this wasn't planned it wasn't a plug that it just so happens that you that one strong black one black coffee a day can reduce fatty liver so you know if if you have a combination of diabetes high blood pressure high cholesterol get that under control a bit of exercise eat well you know sleep well don't smoke black coffee a day and uh, and just avoid seeing people like us you know that would be, you know, doctor, I'm
0: just going to hold you here for a while. If any of these uh, coffee makers or coffee production companies are watching this, the next time you're going to go walk into it, you're going to get a free copy, you know, complimentary, all right, for, for giving us this information. Thank you so much, doctor, for that. Um, any more else, doctor? No, I'm fine. Okay. Thank you for that, and Dr. Isha.
2: Yes, so um not, nothing more for me. um exactly like what Professor Bonnie said. i I think the best time to meet uh, a liver pancreas or transplant surgeon is in a forum like this. You, you don't want to see us in the clinic or in the hospital because you know that's usually not a good sign, so hopefully you know we we don't see any of the guests on the show, and you know hopefully we don't see anyone that that you, you know as few patients as possible, right? The more we see you know is' not really a good thing right so you know hopefully every time we meet is in a, a special occasion or a happy occasion like this and I, I think we should try and keep it this way
0: thank you dr ujia and thank you dr Boni. i think somebody have also messaged us thanks Vance, for the birthday wishes great show <laughs> that's and, my mom. <laughs> that's mom okay we have another professor in fact auntie we want to bring you alive to the show i mean i know you're behind the show but we want to bring you live you know but uh, it's okay. We will we will take it off uh, off screen and then uh, have a good uh, birthday song with some dance, you know. And at copy events, I will always be dancing. So thank you, doctors. I mean, I do not want to take any much of a time. Doctor Ija, please have a good rest. Uh, Doctor Boni as well. I mean, you know, you seems like you are always you know doing amazing stuff. So please keep on doing that. And um, I think we will going to catch up soon again for the next uh, segment or uh, maybe another possibility that we will work together with the National University of health system so thank you so much doctors i'm going to sign the both of you all out now thank you so much take care Bye. good
2: night
0: yeah all right so it's another amazing um um a talk session that i always enjoy having at copy events and 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 that's the thing right i mean i'm not i mean thanks for the viewers who just mentioned that you know i i do this on a regular basis yes but uh, I think what is the most important thing is creating awareness and creating exposures. And if you believe in something, I think you should not just wait. You just got to do it. Even though if there's some kind of failures that may happen, you just got to go through. Because when Copy Event started about two two years back or one one and a half years back, uh, it was just literally a, a small laptop with, you know. But but now we have evolved so much. And I think today's session I learned as well. Because every topic that we want to bring back to uh, Copy Events, I always do my research, so I understand the body, and and I, I do a little bit more research. So it's very very interesting to have uh, the both doctors uh, on board in Copy Events. And um, thank you, Auntie, for your uh, birthday. I know we, you know the next time we should have some coffee as well. You know, thank you for the wishes as well, and uh, have a blessed birthday uh, from Copy Events. So the next topic we are going to catch on, um, let me see, it's going to come on the next week. That's right. All right. We got a, a oncologist who's coming in. I was going to talk about a lot about things about cancers. And um, we're going to have a great discussion as well to have create an awareness and exposures at copy with Vance. So, yes. So I think it's time for me to say adios. But I will catch you really, really soon in just seven days' time. 9 p.m. at kopi with oh okay i ain't got a point uh, okay that's 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 vance all right catch you then i see ya bye bye <music>